You're listening to the B2B Content Show, a podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. I'm Jeremy Shear, and my guest is Jay Hinman, VP of Marketing at Lilly AI. Jay, it's great to have you on the show. Jeremy, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So tell us about a memorable marketing moment from your career. Yeah, you know, when I think about it, my most memorable marketing moment, it's probably less a moment and more the evolution that has really taken place in B2B marketing over the past X number of years, especially in that sort of 2010 to 2015 timeframe. So I've been doing this long enough that I can remember well the days when B2B marketing was more defined by product marketing and by running events and making nice coffee mugs and putting out press releases and things like that. And it was always considered a cost center that couldn't be measured particularly well. And so my team and I used to, when like we'd bring in leads at all, we would throw them over the wall to the sales team and kind of just get out of the way, right? That's just sort of how it was done then. And so my most memorable marketing moment is when marketing automation platforms arrived, platforms like HubSpot, and they were less customer databases and much more focused on action and measurement. And so the B2B marketing function got very analytical in a hurry and very revenue focused. And this either drove or coincided with a rethinking of marketing's place within the organization. And now we were expected to sort of influence every stage of the customer journey. And when we started being, we started being measured accordingly. And I really loved that. I, it took what had once been a very right brain, very creative discipline and made it just as, you know, if not more so left brain and very analytical. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's been at the expense of the right brain creative stuff? No, I think it's a virtuous circle. It's a virtuous flywheel in the sense that I can't do strong demand generation without putting out interesting thought leadership, press Mm -hmm. releases, doing really good product marketing that enables my sales team and things like that. So no, the other other stuff hasn't gone away. In fact, it has to be smarter in order to complement the demand generation function. But now you can really utilize both the analytical and the creative in ways before where marketing was defined by the much more sort of traditionally creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great point. Well, it's a pretty interesting time to be in marketing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Lily AI. Yeah, so we focus on helping brands and retailers boost revenue by understanding and acting on customer intent. So we've created this customer intent platform for the retail e-commerce industry. And it really has an extensive set of AI-powered product attributes. And it combines those product attributes with unique consumer intelligence So it helps brands that we work with, like The Gap or Macy's and Bloomingdale's and ThreadUp and many others. It helps them deliver better site search, better recommendations, and even better demand forecasting for their customers because they know what they're looking for, what their intent is when they arrive on their site and start shopping. So we help them get out of very outdated manual workflows and, and what would traditionally be assigning simple merchant-driven attributes to their products. And now we allow them to showcase and order products using the attributes their customers actually use when they're looking for something online. Mm-hmm. Okay, very cool. So let's talk a little bit more about that, specifically in the context of your own marketing efforts to your prospects. So obviously, you guys are all about buyer intent, customer intent. Right. So. How does that factor into your own marketing strategies and how do you use your own tools? Well, because we're kind of going after a different buyer, we're going after sort of the merchandiser or the digital leader or the VP of e-commerce at at a particular business, mm-hmm. whereas they are kind of going at getting intent on a consumer level. So yeah. 
the way the way they're looking to do it is they want to understand the language that consumers use when they're looking to browse or buy something. So like in, in this in that instance, when you think about your own online shopping experiences, it's really frustrating to put a search term on a retailer's site or a brand site and get like 78 things returned, none of which are right. what you're actually looking for. Right. You know? So like I mean a good example is let's say someone's searching for short sleeve black floral print dress with lace. Cause that's the way consumers actually search. They search about the things that are interesting to them. Yeah. So if somebody puts that phrase into a retailer site, short sleeve, black floral lace dress, she's just defined five things that she's interested in getting back in her results. But most retailers are going to spit out 10 generic black dresses, maybe like a short sleeve mm. shirt and maybe some lace stockings, right? <laughs> so maybe they'll get a short sleeve black floral print dress, but maybe not. And that's because her intent was clear, but she didn't. The, the retailer didn't have the right product taxonomy to capture this and similar searches. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of step one. Step two is like to understand her unique consumer intent, right? She's already told us that she likes things that are black, that they have lace, that has floral patterns. So now we can serve up really strong recommendations and personalization for her going forward. And this can actually be done with as little as five clicks in the same session. And it only gets better the more that she browses. So when you combine that with other data, like online shopping profile surveys, things like that, you can really tailor a perfect shopping experience for her and for every other shopper. For me, you know, intent's a little bit different. I look, I use account-based marketing tools to sort of see what these retail e-commerce companies are looking for. So let's say because we sell product attribution software or we sell customer intent platform, if I can find out that Nike and Adidas are actually searching for those online and then they're coming to my website and then they're checking out my pricing page, these are intense signals that really mean a lot to me, which means that they're in a buying cycle and it's time to kind of go talk to them or be a little bit more aggressive with them than we might have otherwise been to make sure that they know that we might have a solution that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I guess that, that goes to my second question is once you have some buyer intent data, like what do you do with it exactly? How do you put it to use? Yeah. Well, for the retailers and brands that use our solution, they, they use it to optimize their site search experience. That's usually number one was to make mm-hmm. sure that in the, in the example I gave you that the buyer actually finds what she's looking for. But that also even starts one level up, like their SEO and SEM results. Even before that, when someone is looking for black floral lace dress, that that dress actually pops up on Google. And then when she's on the site, the personalization of other items that are tied to her unique profile, recommendations that we give to her, and then even demand forecasting for what you're going to order next time. The way we explain it is like when you've done it correctly, a visit to one of our customers' online stores should feel ultimately feel like a visit to a personal shopper. The personal shopper that already knows you can get you what you're looking for, and sometimes even mm. before you know that you want it. And so we work with you know many large and mid-market retail brands to help them enable that sort of experience on their retail e-commerce sites and then push all this great product and consumer data to the other systems in their e-commerce stack. Okay. And now I know, you know we live in a world driven by data and especially business, but there are limitations to what data can do. So in, in terms of buyer intent, where, are, where do those limitations lie? I mean, the limitations are that at the end of the day, it is a human with kind of unique human proclivities and unique sort of, we're just, you know, we can't be read like a machine. So we can't get you absolute perfection on the absolute longest of the long tail search, but it can come pretty close. You know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't tell you exactly what to order for the next season. 
but it can give you leading indicators, such as the fact that the reason that black dress sold so well this past season wasn't because it was black, but because maybe it had those lace embellishments or it had a logo on the collar or whatever. So sometimes it's those long tail attributes that get consumers excited. And like a corollary that I was just thinking about was just like Jaguar learned with their hood ornaments, right? Like that's like one of the things that Jaguar cars are most famous for. They probably thought that at some point that what people were excited about was excited about was their, you know, their sleek engineering work or the car's body or the engine that drove purchases. But, you know, a platform like Lily AIs could very easily surface that it was the hood ornament that got people really excited about the car. So you've got to make sure that's that hood ornaments on there. Right. Wow. Yeah, I, I guess you do. <laughs> what, what about what about you and your own work? Where where do you see the limitations of the data? But yeah, I mean, one of the biggest limitations is in the example I was giving you where we can see intent from a particular account. And we're super excited that somebody from in the examples I just kind of made up on the spot, Nike or Adidas, are looking for product attribution software or customer intent software. But I don't know who there it, there is doing that, right? It could be the most junior sort of, you know, marketing coordinator, or it could be the CEO and everything in between. And so there are all sorts of ways, obviously, to try to find out who that person is and kind of, you know, w- w- cookie them back, back when that was a little bit more, <laughs> you know, a little easier, or find other ways to reach them with thought leadership and combine that with other data. But there are certainly limitations. So there's a lot of trial and error in, in modern B2B marketing to reach an account of that level. Mm-hmm. Okay, so switching gears here a little bit, I know that at previous jobs you've had, you've done some podcasting. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about that. Uh, what kinds of what were what kind of podcasts were you producing and why? How did you get into podcasting and, and what kind of value did you see in it? Yeah, I, I've been doing podcasting at, as a hobby on my own, just kind of putting together music podcasts for many years now. Um, I was a DJ in college on college radio stations, and I, I really missed it. But I didn't want to commit to like a weekly radio show where I was actually having to go to the station and you know play records, things like that. So I thought, well, what if I can just do this on my laptop? So in the early days of kind of music podcasting, I did that. And because I learned how to use the software, it was kind of a no-brainer to be the person at my job to start the B2B marketing podcast. So I did a podcast called The Modern Experience Marketer at my last job. And we had some really fantastic guests who had very interesting things to say about marketing. And I got a sense of kind of what the cadence is like there, how to ask questions. And I I thought it it came out pretty well. And why did you do podcasting at the, why did you do this B2B podcast? Like what value did you see in it as a marketing tool? Well, I, I think it's, I think it's very powerful and it's pretty indicative of the shift that many people have made from reading things online to listening to them in their cars or on their dog walks <laughs> or however people listen to podcasts. It can be way more personal and off the cuff and, and fun than somebody's kind of carefully crafted byline article. So I think my, my only hesitation there is that when that many people draw very strict boundaries between their home lives and their work lives and for good reason. Right. So they don't want to listen necessarily to business podcasts at any point outside of their work day. And they can't listen during the work day because it's too tough to multitask or for instance, to actively listen while they're answering email. But of course you can't reach all of the people in every medium all the time, but this is one medium where I think it's particularly great time for it right now for those people that are highly motivated to listen to a marketing podcast outside of work hours. What a great way to reach them. Mm-hmm. And then there are sort of those in between moments. Like if you have a commute and you drive to work, which yeah, well, that's when I, may that's not when be, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's not as common as it used to be, but, but still, you know, if you have some kind of travel back and forth, kind of the ideal time to listen to a, a work-related podcast. Absolutely. I mean, I have like a 20-minute commute right now, and mm-hmm. that's perfect for a podcast very much like yours. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Indeed. Well, Jay, thanks for sharing all that. Thanks for a great conversation overall. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com to learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.